Welcome, everybody. Back to the Keyboard Kimura platform. I am E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man, tapping in on Thursday, June 29th, ahead of UFC Vegas 76, which takes place on Saturday, July 1, at the UFC Apex, headlined by a middleweight contest between Sean Strickland and Abus Megamedov. It is time for 10 Things I Like, my favorite show of the week. With all due respect and all love to all the other programs that I put together, this is the one I love the most because this one is the one that's about me the most, right? This is These are my opinions. These are the things that get me excited that I want to share with you, faithful listeners, faithful viewers, so that hopefully you can get some of this excitement for yourselves as we get ready to return to the UFC Apex and the Octagon on Saturday. Item number one, a pivotal main event pairing. God, I love this fight for so many reasons. Now, when I say it's a pivotal main event pairing, I do believe that it has some championship significance. I do believe there are divisional ramifications at play here between Strickland and Magomedov. Strickland is number seven in the division, but he's also one of the few guys that hasn't yet fought current champion Israel Adesanya. I think if he wins and wins in impressive, dominant fashion, it bolsters his chances for a championship opportunity, maybe not next, but maybe somewhere down the road, maybe he gets into a fight where he has won away, he gets into a title eliminator type of matchup. If Abbas Megamedov comes out, dominates Sean Strickland, which has proven difficult to do thus far since Strickland has come back to the middleweight division, then he's in that mix as well because he very much is a fresh name as a UFC sophomore that hasn't fought the champion and has a wealth of experience and then could potentially have a great big win behind him over Sean Strickland. And I know people are going to balk at me calling Sean Strickland a great big win, but he's six and two since returning to action back a couple of years ago, back a few Octobers ago with a victory over Jack Marshman, then turn around and beat Brendan Allen and BA's on a nice run. We got to remember these things, right? BA's on a nice run. Sean Strickland dominated him, finished him. Only guys he's lost to, are Alex Pahea and Jared Cannonier. As much as Sean is a absolute dickhead when there is a microphone or a camera in front of him, he is a very good fighter. And we can't let his dickheadness deter us from understanding and acknowledging that he's a good fighter. He's a very good fighter. So this would be a big win for Abbas Magomedov. But I also think that calling this a pivotal main event pairing has another connotation as well, at least does for me. And that is a little bit of this being a referendum on the way we look at, maybe get to matchmaking some of these divisions. One of the sticking points, one of the points of contention for a lot of people regarding this fight was how do you put a sophomore in there in a main event against a guy like Sean Strickland when he's only got one UFC appearance under his belt and it lasted 19 seconds against a guy that washed out of the out of the promotion. It is something that I think is brilliant. It's something that I think makes a great deal of sense. I have a piece coming out tomorrow on OSDB Sports talking about this fight, that decision, others that could possibly be in line for that kind of step up in the near future because of the success they've already had. I think there's no need, as I said yesterday on one question, no need to go through the usual process here of matriculating Magomedov up the rankings through the Julian Marquez's of the world. Let's just see what he can do. 25, four and one 
32 years old. Let's just see what happens. And if it turns out that we get a great fight, we get a great performance, and even if Magomedov doesn't win, it could turn some of these future matchups and some of the way we do things, the way we see fights booked in the UFC on its head a little bit. We could see more of this going forward. I think we need to. I've advocated for a long time that contenders don't need to win, shouldn't need to win five, six, seven fights before they're in title contention, before they're right there, ready to fight for the title. Now, circumstances often dictate these things. A lot of stuff, a lot of variables to consider things are often out of those contenders' control. But as a promotion, the UFC has the choice, has the ability to just sort of fast lane some of these athletes. And I think we need to see it more, especially in weight classes like 185, where there's a dearth of contenders, where there's a dearth of fresh names. So I think if Magomedov goes out and win or lose, puts on a great performance, gets into a good, physical, competitive fight with Sean Strickland, we might see more of these matchups going forward. And I, for one, would be all the way in on it. I would absolutely love it. It would be terrific to me. And on a petty note, on a personal note, kind of going to feel good if Abbas Megomedov comes out here and shows out on Sunday, Saturday, excuse me, the way I think he will. I am petty in this way. I can't help it. Sometimes I, sometimes I get petty. If he shows out, I'm going to be a little petty on Sunday. Item number two, Grant Dawson's big test. Dawson takes on Demir Ishmagulov in the co-main event. It is a step up in competition for the undefeated in the UFC lightweight. He is 7-0-1, coming off back-to-back third-round submission wins over Jared Gordon and Mark Madsen. Madsen fight was on short notice, first person to defeat the Danish Olympian. It was a good, a very good performance, out-wrestled an Olympic bronze medalist, and now doesn't necessarily translate over directly. I understand. We all know this. But it's still a very good showing for the 28-year-old American. He gets Ishmagulov here, coming off his first loss in a number of years. Lost his, ended his 19-fight winning streak last time out against Armin Saryukin, who, of course, is a top 10 fighter in this division. Just won a couple of weeks ago. Terrific fighter. We love seeing him compete. So this is the this is the one for Dawson. I'm somebody, as you know, from always listening to me, which I greatly appreciate, and reading me for years before that, that cherishes these fights, that relishes seeing these kinds of matchups. Let me see the emerging fighter get in there with the steely veteran. Get in there with the guy that can do a little bit of everything, because this is where we learn whether Grant Dawson is somebody that is capable of going forward, or what holes he needs to fit, fill and what mistakes and errors and gaps in his game he needs to fix and remedy before he can go forward. He's done exceptionally well in the UFC up to this point and for his career overall up to this point. But now's when it gets real tough, right? This is where it gets really hard. And this is what separates contenders from pretenders. This is what separates the very good fighters from the great fighters. And Grant Dawson, thus far has been very good. And if he loses here, he can still be very good as someone that exists in the lower third of the top 15 or just outside of those rankings in the second 15. 
But if he wins here, it tells us something different about him, something that we don't know for sure. I'm sure there are some folks who already currently believe Grant Dawson is destined to be a contender in the lightweight division. I'm not one of those people. I think the world of him, I think he's looked very good, loved the decision to move to lightweight, loved the decision to move down to American Top Team. Results speak for themselves over these last few fights. But this is where we see, and if he goes out and beats Demir Ishmagulov, who only one dude in the UFC has beaten thus far, and it's a top 10 fighter, that tells us something. That tells me something. And it should indicate to everybody else that you have to start checking for Grant Dawson with real seriousness, with real earnestness. Because beating guys like Demir Ishmagulov, whether you are deeply familiar with his resume and what he brings to the table or not, I am telling you, it will be a very good win for the young American. Item number three, step up for Michael Morales. The young fighter from Ecuador trains at Entrum Gym in Tijuana, Mexico, takes on Max Griffin in the third fight of the main card. And this is similar to Dawson. It's not quite at that exact same level, but it's similar and a little bit earlier for Morales, truthfully. Griffin is a guy that is 4-1 and one over his last five fights. He will tell you that he is 5-0 and oh because he should have gotten the nod against Neil Magny. It was a razor-thin split decision. I'm not going to get into the arguments and debates about who should have won that fight. I haven't watched it back, so I will reserve my judgment and just play the actual results because 4-1 and one in your last five near the top of the welterweight division or in that second 15 of the welterweight division is still a very good mark. Morales has looked very good through two fights. Stopped Trevin Giles, stopped Adam Fugit. Tons of potential, tons of upside, but is young, is relatively inexperienced, 14-0 overall, and this is the one, similar as I said, to the Grant Dawson fight. This is the one where we get some answers, where we start finding out some things. If Michael Morales is to be a contender, is to be a guy that sort of follows in the footsteps of emerging fighters like Shavkat Rachmanov was a couple years ago in this division, this is one where we see it because if he goes out and starches Max Griffin on Saturday, that means something that is, that is a big win, right? Some of the people that have beaten Max Griffin earlier in his career debuted get with a loss to Colby Covington has fought good competition the whole way through. And as of late, as I said, it's only been Neil Magny last five, only been Neil Magny. He's been put in this position before to face the promising emerging talent. As he told me when we spoke for the story that is up on UFC.com right now, the last time the UFC handed him an assignment like this, he nearly tore Ramiz Brahima's ear off. You all remember that. It was grisly. I'm glad Ramiz's ear is back on the side of his head properly. I love this fight. I loved it when it was announced. I think it is a very good matchup. I think it is smart matchmaking. Max Griffin doesn't necessarily like it, and I get why. I understand why. But this is what you do. This is where you pair a guy like Michael Morales up against a seasoned, experienced, dangerous veteran. He has all the time in the world to learn from whatever mistakes he makes on Saturday, whatever holes and weaknesses are exposed in his game, if any. And if he wins, you've got a 24-year-old knocking on the door of the top 15, ready to go forward and take on some of these veterans that, quite frankly, are squatting on positions in the rankings. And I'm sure he will have a name in mind 
should he get a victory on Saturday? Item number four, guaranteed lightweight violence. Ismail Bonfim, Benoit Saint-Denis. It's just going to be fire. Like, it's just going to be rock'em, sock'em robots. It is going to be the elevated, more impressive, more enjoyable, for me at least, version of the Trevor Peak chepe Marichal fight from last weekend. That was slobber knocker. That was drunken haymakers beat the hell out of each other with very limited technique and just a ton of grit and heart and chewing tobacco and sandpaper. This is going to be technical violence that is just absolutely enjoyable, nourishing food for my soul on a Saturday afternoon on the first day of July. I just think this is one of those things. This is one of those fights. I get it that they're not established names. Bonfim in his second fight. St. Denis only his fourth appearance. Third since moving down to lightweight. Not guys that anybody necessarily outside of the hardcore set, outside of dorks like me, is really checking for. But again, you have entrusted me or I have taken up the responsibility of telling you about the fighters you do not know and the fights that are going to be great that you don't know about and aren't necessarily checking for. And this is one of them. I cannot see how this fight isn't wildly entertaining. And as always, I am here for wildly entertaining fights between two guys that just like going out there and finishing fights and taking it to their opponents and trying to knock their heads into next Tuesday. Bonfim knocked out Terrence McKinney in his debut. St. Denis is coming off back-to-back stoppage wins over Nicholas Stolza and Gabriel Miranda. It is going to be violent and fun and entertaining, and I'm here for it. Item number five, second look at Bruno Ferrer. As always, I like to reserve judgment a little bit when it comes to deciding my position on young emerging talents. Bruno Ferreira came off of Dana White's contender series, stepped in on short notice in January against Gregory Rodriguez and promptly knocked Robocop out. Bad knockout, like ugly, good knockout win for Bruno Ferreira. Ugly if you're Gregory Rodriguez. Great performance, sets a bar, sets sort of a baseline for where he fits in the middleweight division. But now we get a second look. And unfortunately, it's against a replacement opponent in Nursultan Ruziboov. I would have liked it to be the original matchup where he gets an opponent that's on a full camp. And so this is going to be a little bit of a asterisky kind of second look, but it's a second look nonetheless. And the thing I'm looking for in this fight, the thing I want to see from Ferreira is can he carry over that impressive, aggressive, punishing power into his second fight? Not from the standpoint of was it a fluke last time out. He's knocked everybody out. He's stopped everybody that he's faced thus far. But he was the unexpected. He was the newcomer last time. He was the guy that tagged in on short notice. The opponent had no time to prepare for him. Now those rules are reversed. And can he go out and do what we often ask of the guy that stuck around in the matchup and is now facing the newcomer and and just go out and put it on him? go out and get himself a dominant victory. The one that stands out in my mind of, of recent, right, is Jim Miller knocking Jesse Butler out in 23 seconds or whatever it was earlier in the month. That's what we want to see. That's what I like to see 
from fighters in this position, especially those that have greater experience overall. Now, it's not necessarily a disparity of Jim Miller and Jesse Butler, which is the widest gap ever in UFC history between the guy with the most fights ever in UFC history and a guy making his debut. But Ferreira's been here, and he fought on a pay-per-view in Rio, at home, in Brazil, gone through a bunch of the process already and had success. So can he go out and continue to look sharp against Rizzy Boav on Saturday, pick up a second win, and put himself in that list of people we got to pay attention to at middleweight, which, as I said yesterday, don't look now, but middleweight is starting to get interesting. Potentially. Potentially. We got to get some things breaking the right way. But middleweight could potentially get interesting here in the second half of the year. Item number six, a critical fight for Kevin Lee. Said yesterday that I want Kevin Lee to just focus on fighting. Just go out there, get yourself a victory, young man, and prove some of the things that you have said about yourself and about your place in the division and how things should be done, et cetera, et cetera. It's not an easy one on Saturday. Renat Fakradinov is 2-0 in the UFC. He is a good wrestler. He is a well-rounded, durable, experienced dude that if you are not prepared, you are not dialed in, he will beat you. Simple as that. And Kevin Lee, for all of the abundant talents that I think everybody recognizes, for all of the skill, the athleticism, the potential that he has carried from the time he walked into the UFC, he has been somebody that has really, to me, failed to live up to all of that promise. And you can say, well, he fought for the interim title. Okay, he lost. He's always sort of projected greater than what he's achieved. And he's bounced around through a bunch of different gyms. He's worked with a bunch of different teams. And I understand that part of that is facilitated and necessitated by the passing of Robert Fallis, who he had a deep connection with and really settled in an extreme couture with. And that's a thing you can't change, but he has switched gyms again. He is down at Killcliffe FC for this camp. Don't know if that's a permanent thing, but that's where he was after being at TriStar for a bit, after being at XC. He's just one of these dudes that, you know, we all look at him and we all know the upside. We all see the, the capabilities, but we haven't seen it in terms of results. We haven't seen it in terms of performance. And if he doesn't deliver here and it's another loss, then it really starts to get difficult to figure out where this guy fits going forward. And now I understand that Kevin Lee has always advocated for, I'm a 165-pound fighter. Make that division and I will dominate because it's hard for me to get to 55, but I'm not quite big enough for 170. Well, that ain't here. So you got to pick your spot and you picked welterweight and so you got to deal with what that brings. And so he's got to go out on Saturday and have a good performance. He needs to go out and get a win. Not in a he will get cut sense or anything like that, but just to establish some footing for himself going forward. Because as always, he is going to talk his talk. He is going to talk his shit. It's easier to do coming off a win and coming off a dominant win and an impressive win than it is when you're coming off another loss. So let's see. I can't wait to see it. I'm I'm so fascinated by this fight and so looking forward 
to sitting and watching this fight that closes out the prelims. Item seven, another Joe Anderson Brito appearance. I talked yesterday about not understanding sort of the booking strategy with Brito thus far because he came off the win over Andre Feely, got booked against Melsic Bagdasarian, ended up against Lucas Alexander in a short notice fight, choked him out, and then got booked against Hussein Ashkabov, who was coming off a loss in a poor showing against Jamal Emers. It did not make sense to me. Ashkabov has subsequently been pulled from this fight, replaced by Weston Wilson, which again is another like, just go out, smash this dude is my, is my estimation, is my belief of what will happen, what will transpire. And I just want to see more of this dude. I think he's really good. I think he's one of the people from that season of the Contender Series, the class of 2021, that is going to be another sort of Jack Della Maddalena, another Jailton Almeida. Like, I think he's that good. I think the upside is there to potentially be that good. And I just need to see him against better people. And so Saturday's fight against Weston Wilson is a chance to just sort of affirm stuff that I already believe, right? Similar to the Lucas Alexander fight. You saw that one, you saw it on paper and you thought this dude's going to go out and choke this kid out in no time. And that's what happened. And now to his credit, Lucas Alexander, first full camp fight, Steven Peterson goes out, dominates Ocho, beats him in his final appearance of his career. Good win. Solid win for the young Brazilian. I think Brito dominates on Saturday. And I think if I'm him, if I'm his people, if I'm his team, I get on the mic and say, what do I got to do? Give me somebody in the rankings. Because I knocked out Andre Feely in 41 seconds in my second appearance in the UFC. And it's been contender series grads and guys that I'm quite frankly ahead of in the pecking order since. And I want something else. I want a better challenge. These guys aren't challenges for me, as you're seeing. I look forward to seeing Brito on Saturday. You should too. Item number eight, Guram Kutataladze returns. Another one of these sort of mercurial, frustrating fighters, not in the lack of building to the upside vein as of, of Kevin Lee, but from a just inability to appear and, and show up consistently. And it's, it is frustrating. The reason it's frustrating is because you see the talent, right? You see fights with Matoish Gamrat and Demirish Magulov that are close, competitive, hard-fought, technical fights. And you just want to see him fight more often. It's wild to me that this is only his third fight. It's wild to me that he just can't make it to the octagon more frequently than once a year. And that's what it's been for his UFC career thus far. Fight once, out for a year, fight again, out for another year. Now you're back. And this is his second booking of this year because he was supposed to fight a few weeks back against Jamie Malarkey, but ran into visa issues again. Now I get that the visa situation is complicated, exacerbated by geopolitical things that are well out of our control and frankly, the scope of this podcast. But as a fight fan, as somebody that enjoys watching fights and enjoys watching Kutataladze compete, I just want to see him out there. I just want to see him step in the cage. I think he has an opportunity to be a top 15 fighter. As I talked about yesterday, the guys he's faced are both top 15 fighters. And so he's certainly someone that can make that push, that can make that move and has the skills to be there. Elvis Brenner, his opponent on Saturday, got a debated split decision win over Zubaira Tuhukov 
earlier this year, excuse me, on Tukagov, uh, to Hugov at UFC 284. Don't really think he earned the decision, but it was a close fight, a competitive fight. One of those fights where Tuhugov kind of did Tuhugov things and, and let it get away from him a little bit. I think this is a spot where Kutataladze can really come out and shine and dominate, show that he is somebody right now in that second 15 with the top 15 upside. And then I just need to see him compete again in, in the next six months. That's my wish. Good performance on Saturday. Inside a six-month turnaround. Let's see if we can get it. Item number nine, a measuring stick match for Ivana Petrovich. So it's not often that we get a measuring stick match in someone's UFC debut, but I feel like that's what this is for Petrovich, who takes on Luana Carolina. As I said yesterday, she's someone that is very difficult for me to assess what she brings to the table, where her skill set is at, who she is as a fighter, because despite being 6-0, Despite having the Aries FC flyweight title, it's only one fight against somebody that I put real stock in. And that's Yulina Wozniak last time out to win that Aries title. That was a good fight. That was a good performance. But this is the one to me where we're going to set that baseline, where we're going to find out right away what she's capable of. As much as Luana Carolina comes in on a two-fight losing streak, I think she will be buoyed by the fact that she's not fighting in London. That's where each of her last two losses have come. I think she is facing someone that is commensurate to the level of skill that she brings to the table, at least in terms of what we've seen thus far. Petrovic could very well go out here, blow her out of the water and prove herself to be someone to watch at flyweight, joining that long list, growing list of women to watch at flyweight. But it should give us a good understanding right out of the gate. Carolina's a tough out if you're not prepared for what she brings, right? We have the memory of Molly McCann knocking her out with that spinning back elbow in London, but that was a competitive fight up until that point. That wasn't one-way traffic and then Malls hits her with the elbow and walks it off. It was a good competitive fight. She beat Lupi Godinez a couple of years ago, and I know Lupi is naturally a 115-pounder, fighting at strawweight, took it on short notice, real quick turnaround, but that's a good win still. Loopy's, Loopy's a tough out. I expected her to win. That showed me that Carolina can do some stuff. And we're going to see on Saturday if Petrovic can match that and exceed that and maintain her unbeaten record and go forward with a victory in her UFC debut. Item number 10, the big boys open up the show. I kind of like this. We talk all the time about heavyweights getting stuck in the middle of the main card it feeling like it's going to be a slog. Saturday, we got Alexander Romanov and Blagoy Ivanov opening up the show. And so if it's a slog, if it turns into 15 minutes of grueling, exhausted fighting, it's over and done with early. If we get dialed in, locked in Alexander Romanov and he goes out and submits Blagoy Ivanov, becoming the first person in the UFC to defeat him by finish, by submission, then we get a cool start. If Ivanov goes out, and hits a ground and pound finish and, and smashes out Romanov, we get a good start. Either way, I think we get something of intrigue to start the night. And I like this. These are established names. These are people we know stepping into the cage for the first fight of the night. Not often the thing we get. Quite frequently, it's newcomers, or it's flyweights that people aren't checking for, or it's a female fight, quite frankly. Now we get 
top 15 heavyweights. And I know people will say being ranked in the top 15 and the lower third at that at heavyweight isn't quite the same as being ranked lightweight or bantamweight. Or I agree a hundred percent, but I can only look at who is ranked and these men are ranked. And so we kick it off with a meeting between ranked fighters that has some intrigue, at least to me. And I want to see it and I'm looking forward to it. I think this is a good card. I said yesterday, I will say again here, this is the kind of card that I think sneaks up on a lot of people. I think come Saturday night when the dust has settled, there are a lot of people going, man, that was a really fun show. It was a really good, good event. We got some really good, plenty to talk about. I hope there will be plenty for me to talk about on Sunday, on the next day takeaways, when I will return. Before that, of course, I will be back here tomorrow with the Friday Double Dip, Punch Drunk Predictions, and The Betting Show, trying to get back on track in both. Before I get out of here, as always, check the QR code. If you are not watching on the YouTube, if you are just listening on the podcast, spencerkite.substack.com, keyboard Kamor newsletter. Put it out just about every day, trying to make it every day. We're back here, back on track this week. Subscribe for free, subscribe for five bucks a month, subscribe for $50 for the year. Greatly appreciate it. Any way you subscribe, any way you tap in, I love having you around. Check out the guys at One Bone, at One Bone Brand on Twitter and Instagram, onebonebrand.com for all your apparel needs. New drop came out yesterday. Happy anniversary, boys. Congratulations on five years. Appreciate all you are doing for us bigger fellas that need some good, fresh, clean gear. If you do check them out and are checking out, put in that promo code ESK20 for 20% off. Let them know that you heard about them from yours truly. As always, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite. Thank you for tuning in. We will talk to you tomorrow. Know that you are loved. Know that you are valued. We'll see you then.